Hello, and welcome to the UC Architects podcast. This is episode 21, recorded Friday, May 3rd, 2013. I'm your host, Pat Richard, and today I've got four of my best friends. Uh, Sir Ken Veraglu is here, Dave Stork, welcome, Johan Veldus, and of course, uh, Mahmoud Magdi. I haven't been on uh, uh, a podcast with you in quite a while, Mahmoud. So uh, we're going to cover a wealth of topics today, lots of stuff about Exchange and Link. Uh, first up, uh, Sirkin, what's new with you? Uh, nothing much. It's same. It's been a busy month, I can say. So I haven't had much to contribute to community yet. But uh, it's been all about exchange again and link. Uh, it's been kind of boring. <laughs> Still waiting for the summer in Bermuda. It's raining every day now. But it's Bermuda. Yeah, but it's like... It doesn't feel like Bermuda for the last month. So everyone is surprised that it's like raining every day, and especially when it rains on Fridays, it's not good because you know I missed the Happy Friday, the opportunity to go out, have fun, have a couple of drinks, <laughs> but that's not happening at the moment. So wow. I'm pretty depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy living in Bermuda. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, next up, Dave. What's happening with you? Hi, hi. Th thank you for having me. Um, well, um, I've uh, taken a bit of a sabbatical from all the blogging and, and uh, being active with the podcast, but I'm, um, I'm back with a vengeance. Uh, in, in the meantime, I've uh, done uh, uh, some Exchange 2013 implementations, and uh, I've got a lot of things to talk about that. So uh, that was my main focus for the last few weeks, months. Good. Well, we look forward to hearing what you have to say. Uh, Johan, what's happening in your side of the world? Well, still uh, busy with a large project with a database restructuration on the Exchange side. And besides that, yeah, blogging and, well, finding time to uh, for some other things, which is uh, pretty hard at the moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, and Mahmoud, we have not been on in quite a while together. What's new with you? Yeah, uh, I'm sure it's been uh, crazy since I moved to uh, Qatar and my family moved, so I couldn't catch up with you guys. Uh, well, uh, it's been a quite busy month, uh, uh, but mostly with uh, with non-exchange related stuff. So I've been doing uh, tricks, VDI, stuff like that. But uh, I had a nice discussion last week with one of my customers who's looking for DLP with virtualization exchange, which is a very interesting topic. So I, I might have some feedback around this within the next two uh, weeks. So I might discuss it in the uh, podcast and share with you my thoughts. Uh, other than this, I joined the uh, Exchange 2013 team group mastering, sorry, Exchange 2013 uh, editing group. So uh, I joined them yesterday, so uh, we will publish uh, the book within the next couple of months. So we're working heavily and coming hot on that. So that's pretty much uh, my news. Wow, okay, so busy, busy, busy. Uh, we will roll right into our first topic uh, while we have you, Mahmoud. Uh, exchange storage design, you had a couple of comments and thoughts on that. Yep, so uh, working on uh, Exchange 2013 design, and uh, as you guys know and most of our audience know, we don't have an Exchange storage design calculator yet, so pretty much we are on our own. So uh, my feedback, my first feedback is the, the, size, the size of the Exchange 2013 storage is expected to be much, much, much bigger. Uh, we have seen that in one of our customers, and it's already written in the release note, but it's a 30% decrease. So we, we have seen in one of our customers like around 50% increase in the storage in the storage when they move from uh, Exchange 2010. So you might want to consider that uh, ahead until we have an accurate calculator. From IOPS point of view, I'm not really afraid. Uh, from the IOPS, so we, are, we are expecting in the upcoming version of Exchange that Exchange will give IOPS, right? So uh, we don't have to worry about uh, the IOPS, about the rate. 
You just need to worry about the exchange uh, size, the uh, online maintenance uh, that has been running. You need to consider that as well. I'm not sure if uh, if you guys have heavily delved in uh, exchange storage design uh, 2013. Have you have you got any more tips around this? I don't think anybody else has uh, tried to do that. So, what, what do you guys what do you guys think, Dave? You have yeah. done so you have done your share of exchange 2013 uh, design. What's your tips? Um, well. It's hard because there aren't any guidelines, real guidelines uh, for sizing Exchange 2013. And because the infrastructure of uh, 2013 is a a lot different than 2010, it's hard to use the 2010 information for that. It's tricky. But yeah, still, you, you have to base it on something. So I did use 2010 information and just well educated guesses and informing and instructing administrators that they have to keep everything monitored and close watch on, on what what happens but that is sound advice for for any exchange environment whether it's 2013 or 2010 but i think for 2013 uh, especially valid uh, I, I don't think that you well there's nothing you can say what it has been advised by Microsoft, so it's guesswork, actually, a bit like, yeah, on, only concrete things are the, the, the amount of IOPS, and I think that they actually said that during the Microsoft Exchange conference that use the 2010 uh, mailbox calculator for calculating the IOPS, and then just take the half of it for active databases. And it, so it, it's it's a bit difficult at the moment to design 2013 environments. Uh, with the yeah. uh, actual uh, official data from Microsoft. Yeah, my uh, my my tips to, my tips here that I have seen um, storage blast. So as I said, I have seen 50% increase in, in the used storage. So we we are a managed provider and we 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 need to be very careful about the amount of used storage. So, uh, people who work in managed services environment, even enterprise environment, need to take that carefully. Uh, on the other side, uh, on the other side, uh, all of us have seen the uh, memory usage on Exchange Mailbox. So, uh, I, I have seen it very memory hungry. I can see it as memory hungry application, and the because every mailbox database gets its own you know process and everything uh, it of course it has its own benefit but uh, you need to in my opinion i think we will we will hear that we need to increase uh, the memory uh, the amount of memory being allocated to our mailbox servers uh, other than that we will have to wait exchange calculator to be officially released by microsoft yeah uh, about your remark about uh, memory i can i, I can uh, at least uh, uh, concur when I was uh, doing some lab environments. Uh, well, with Exchange 2010, you could go with uh, with a multi-role server with just two gigs, and it just would work fine. But with Exchange 2013, you really had a minimum of four gigs to work with. Uh, you had to have a minimum of four gigs to make it work properly. And that is in a lab environment. And so you already see in a lab environment that, that 2013 is more memory hungry than 2010 uh, was. I think that Johan or, also had experience with that. Yeah. Uh, so again, being being a managed service provider, I heavily need to work my, my used memory. So uh, we are not heavily impacted by that, but that will affect our licensing because it affects the amount of used memory uh, by servers. Uh, so uh, we, we are very cautious about that, and we are looking forward to hear some guidance from uh, from Microsoft team. Uh, again, I've seen it in, in the lab, and that customer who moved to Exchange uh, 2013 was hit by that, so we needed to increase the mailbox memory. But we were very clear in our design that, well, we don't have a guidance, so we will try. And then we had to like add like 50% of memory to make things uh, back track. Yeah, yeah, we have seen it. 
Yeah, I'll just add something to that. It's not just the exchange using the memory, right? For example, like the search and search completely changed on 2013 now, and they have now new search foundation on it, like fast search, and that is memory extensive as well. I mean, I've seen it on my. I haven't done a big org implementation for 2013 yet, but in my environment for the demos and testing and stuff like. The, the search is using pretty huge amount of memory on the mailbox servers. So I think it's a bit hard to calculate that and uh, put it in the calculations as of the moment yet. But that's another point that we need to keep in mind. Yeah, all, all great information. And uh, I know that uh, it's, it's really irritating, I think, to some people that there's not a, a valid calculator out there that can help them plan better. And uh, mm -hmm. hopefully, hopefully we'll see that soon. I mean, not just plan better, at least to plan. Currently, I'm not sure if anyone of us can plan. If We are just doing it because of, out of experience. Right. And we are just yeah. guessing, to tell the truth. And right. uh, we don't have the ability to say, okay, this is the right way. When we go in front of a client or someone who wants to do an exchange project in their infrastructure, we don't have the option to say, okay, this is how it needs to be. Uh, we are currently just saying, this is what we think it should be at the moment. <laughs> and so it's pretty frustrating, but I'm sure Microsoft will come out with a nice guidance soon to help us all. At least that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> the pains we have for uh, being early adopters. Yeah. Okay, going from a, an exchange storage perspective over to an implementation aspect, um, Johan, you have uh, a couple items that you wanted to discuss. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, played around with it uh, in my lab environment. I've built uh, Exchange 2010 SP3 and Exchange 2013 CU1 uh, in the same uh, organization. And one of the things you must know is that when you try to ex access the Exchange Admin Center and your administrative mailbox is still hosted on Exchange 2010, you will never reach the Exchange Admin Center. To reach the Exchange Admin Center, you will need to uh, add a parameter to the URL, uh, which is named xclientver is 15 and then you will uh, be able to access the Exchange Admin Center. We will put a note on, uh, on the summary uh, page for this episode. Uh, I've wrote a, a blog about it. Second thing which I discovered was that when you don't move the federated email arbitration mailbox, you will not be able to use uh, side mailboxes. For some reason, the side mailboxes uses, uh, uses the federated email arbitration mailbox and if you don't move it, they don't work. Another one is the, the system mailbox. And it's a system mailbox with a GUID, which I will not pronounce now, but we'll put a link to a, to, to a blog article uh, on the summary page. And if you don't move that specific system mailbox, you won't be able to use the e-discovery functionality. It will stay in the queue for ages and ages. Yeah, that's some things I uh, I have seen. Dave, I've I know you have uh, also found uh, several things. Maybe you can uh, can let us know what you have found and how you solved it. Yeah, well, I would gladly do that. Well, I've done uh, one production uh, implementation of Exchange 2013, which was a greenfield environment from an uh, Exchange perspective. So. I didn't have any uh, coexistence issues. Um, I'm currently busy with uh, another Exchange 2010 implementation, and that is also a Greenfield implementation. So the issues that I have encountered are all Greenfield issues and no coexistence. So on the topics of coexistence, I can't uh, mention uh, a lot, but at least one thing and uh, is which I found very uh, sloppy is that when you try to generate a certificate request in the Exchange Admin Center, so the web-based uh, management console, when you uh, generate a certificate or a certificate request, the values you enter for organization and organization unit 
are mixed up and it, it took us uh, two or three uh, certificate requests before we found out that it was an issue with the uh, Exchange Admin Center. When you just generate the certificate request uh, in the Exchange Management shell, then the values are correct. So that is a small but irritating issue. Uh, it doesn't hinder you with uh, functionality, but it does do, does some r stupid things with your certificate. So um, if you uh, if you enter the the two values reversed in the it it should the, go fine yeah it should be fine yeah, yeah. okay it, it it's just a, a cosmetic um, um, a mix up they made in the Exchange Admin Center and unfortunately it's still present in Cumulative Update one so it was in RTM and it is in, still present in Cumulative Update one uh, so that's one thing to to consider when you are uh, busy making certificate requests. Paul uh, Cunningham, uh, also a UC Architect uh, fellow, uh, has made a, a blog post about that, so you can read about that more. Well, other issues, well, we have in one uh, migration project, we had still a lot of Outlook 2007 clients, some Outlook 2010, but the most, most of the users still used Outlook 2007 and well it's still in in being researched what what the issue exactly is uh, whether it is a server issue a low balancer issue or uh, a client issue uh, but it seems like outlook 2007 has still has some issues with with the combination with exchange uh, 2013 and we saw a lot of well some features, as a, for instance, this, the busy uh, tentative and, and, and status of uh, appointments uh, you have in 2010 and uh, 2013, you have a working elsewhere uh, status added to it. And that is something that the client doesn't work correctly. Uh, we also saw that setting calendar permissions um, isn't always uh, working properly. And we also do see some connectivity issues that sometimes the connectivity, especially when uh, when a user has uh, um, connected shared mailboxes or other mailboxes, then it tends to increase the amount of uh, disconnection issues uh, for some. Well, it's, it's still in research, so we're still looking into it. Um, but it, it feels a bit like the time we had Outlook 2003 combined with Exchange 2010 and, and that just started correctly working after Suspect 2 with a roll-up update. When you are planning to go to Exchange 2013, take that in mind that you could have some issues with older Outlook clients. Uh, and Outlook 2007 is the, the oldest client that is supported in combination with uh, Exchange 2013. I think that we don't heard a lot of issues with Outlook 2010 and um, almost none with Outlook 2013, but uh, we don't have a lot of users using 2013 already. So, well, that is something to keep in mind, and uh, we are still researching uh, some some issues there. And uh, I've encountered two other uh, rather big issues. Uh, one is a, a content conversion issue. Uh, we've noticed that when uh, Mailbox users uh, send out a, a meeting request to people to uh, outside the organization, so to external accounts, that the mail with the uh, meeting request uh, gets stuck in the uh, message queue and um, with an error like uh, unit uh, content conversion error, uh, something like that. And um, it just um, gets expired after two days and that was a really big issue for us because well those were meeting requests with customers of ours and they failed but the sender only got a notification after two days that it had failed um, so that was a uh, painful issue well uh, searching uh, for a solution we found that on the Microsoft uh, fora that setting the I'm not sure how, uh, I don't remember it correctly, but you have to send out the um, meeting request as an RTF uh, format, and then the conversion goes correctly, uh, or there is no issue. But the downside to that is that uh, recipients without Outlook or Exchange or 
um, uh, anything like that, non-Microsoft uh, uh, products, uh, they tend to get uh, windmill uh, that uh, attachment and can't read the mail in any case. So, but um, uh, at least they get a mail so they can contact the sender. You know, you send something and well, <laughs> what did you send? So, uh, for us that was the the uh, choice to go. Uh, luckily, uh, we just we implemented uh, cumulative update one uh, two weeks ago, and uh, the the issue didn't uh, was wasn't uh, present continuously, just part of the time, not not every time. So that is also something that is uh, hard to troubleshoot. But as of yet, it seems to be fixed in cumulative update one. So uh, most people don't have to worry about that anymore, but I'm still keeping an eye on that queue. And another kind of a big issue, I think, is um, some mail flow issues uh, and which are DNS related. Uh, a few weeks back, Tony Redmond already blog posted uh, something about uh, that mails get stuck in the drafts folders in the webmail in OWA and in the outbox uh, with Outlook. And when you change the uh, DNS settings uh, within the Exchange Admin Center of your servers to a custom custom DNS or uh, the, the, the NIC, then it suddenly uh, just works perfectly. Well, I've tried that with, in my situation, and I, um, with all the combination I could think of, it either caused the transport services to crash and not restart again, or to uh, fail sending uh, internal and external mail, or uh, I think the best option we had was to that internal mail was working, but external mail couldn't be received by the exchange organization. So, for an internet mail server, that was kind of a kind of a big deal. And so I've uh, contacted Microsoft support, and uh, they uh, let me add the DNS server or sorry the uh, IP address of uh, all domain controllers and the IP addresses of all the uh, Exchange servers, including the server name and the full qualified domain name in the Exchange server's host file. And after that, all problems went away like sunshine, uh, snow and snow before sunshine. And um, so it, it seems like, and this, and this was with uh, Cumulative Update 1. So uh, in, in some cases, it can still be problematic um, to have, well, you have to look at your DNS settings and perhaps even change your host file to make it work. But I don't see that as a solution. I would rather see that uh, just Exchange would work uh, perfectly with, uh, without uh, having to moderate your, your host file because what's the point of having uh, DNS servers? And that were, well, we I've, we've, Encountered some some other issues, but most uh, most other issues have a very acceptable workaround, or um, aren't that uh, doesn't have a lot of impact. So I don't have any experience with coexistence, so I can't uh, speculate or, or tell you anything about that. But um, it it it's been adventurous. Uh, having to implement uh, RTM in a greenfield environment, but most problems were, except for those painful ones I just mentioned, but most of them were uh, quite solvable. And uh, I think that, uh, at least for our own company, we have a lot of uh, happy Exchange uh, customers. I'm relatively positive about Exchange 2013, although I would have liked to see n not as much as bugs as I have seen. And probably you're not the only one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know we got bit by that uh, RTF bug in uh, meeting requests as well, and it was driving some of our people crazy. So uh, CU1 fixed it for us. And uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that even our, our, our CEO uh, was, was a bit, well, well, he didn't mention it. it, it, it uh, 
he told us uh, make it work or make it stop doing this or something like that <laughs> <laughs> so we were quite motivated well well yeah you're you're dependent on a microsoft to deliver a fix and um and our hope was that it was uh, was going to be fixed in uh, cumulative update one we knew with our uh, migration date and implementation date that cumulative update one was uh quite uh, soon after we went into production so uh, we were fairly confident to go uh, ahead with our migration and then hope that if there are any major issues, then that Cumulative Update 1 would fix that. And, uh, well, for this case, it did, although um, it's it, uh, not not all things. <laughs> but uh, did you immediately uh, insult CU1 after it was released? Or? No, 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 no. <laughs> we, um, uh, we waited for... Uh, what was it? Actually, I think we waited for two weeks or something like that before implementing it. Okay. Uh, yeah. A bit, of, a bit of the standard procedures we learned uh, with the most recent uh, uh, roll-up oh. updates. <laughs> but the installation went was quite without any problem. Well, we lo we did lose our link integration. Yeah, well, that that was a, an item that was uh, documented. And, and suddenly things uh, we had uh, uh, issues about uh, problems. Uh, we we kept uh, for our uh, customer for customers for my coworkers. I kept a page up to date with all the known issues, the the bigger known issues. And um, after Cumulative Update One, we could strike a lot of those down. So that was a very good feeling. Uh, but still, uh, the, the, I think there is still some work to do, especially if you see that the certificate request uh, mix up uh, with the organization. The organization unit is still there, uh, and some, there are still some translations errors. For instance, one thing that did uh, was a bit uh, funky, I think, was that they translated the calendar folder in Dutch. It was years of. of I think for 10 or 15 years it was agenda. Well, it's hard to uh, translate that, uh, that, but but suddenly now it was a bit wrongly translated to calendar uh, with a K. And um, for, for us, for us, uh, us Dutch, uh, in a calendar you note a calendar. Uh, you you note the somebody's birthdays, uh, yearly events that repeat. And in the agenda, that is something you keep with you with uh, your day-to-day -day planning. Uh, so that translation is a bit was a bit weird. But uh, the, the most important thing was that the default folder is then when you log into uh, your Exchange mailbox, the folder is then renamed to the translation name. We had some issues with importing uh, PST folders from our uh, non-Exchange environment, uh, which had either calendar or the Dutch agenda uh, and that didn't that didn't match up so we had to do some well the users that had to move some folders around so that was a annoying thing and uh, a lot more of those well a bit well sloppy but uh, I wouldn't say really sloppy but the dots on the eye the the, the those little things that you want to see fixed before you release a product. But that, that's just my uh, feeling about that. Oh, all good stuff and uh, lots of information there. And, of course, uh, we'll shake out some more bugs and, uh, and get more information out as we can. Uh, so, Dave, uh, the Mysterious Exchange app. Yeah. Office 365 tenant. What's going on with that? You've got me intrigued. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the intention. It's it's funny because we uh, after we installed Cumulative Update One in our own uh, environment or even before that I think um, I my own uh, Office 365 P account uh, the personal uh, professional account was upgraded to uh, uh, Exchange 2013. Immediately I went into the uh, all the options screens and the Exchange Admin Center for. Um, 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 uh, the office, my Office 65 or my Exchange Online environment. And uh, there I saw an option to, uh, when you go to a mailbox, and in this case it was my own mailbox, you can see the uh, mailbox features, 
and just below the, the option to disable or enable the ActiveSync settings, I saw the option to enable or disable the Exchange app. And that got me thinking that what is the Exchange app? And I couldn't find anything, uh, no information anywhere. But the interesting thing is, is I already uh, expected something like this. I already blogged about that uh, a few months ago um, with the name change of the ActiveSync commandlets in uh, 2013. Um, when you go to the, uh, the Exchange Admin Center and to the uh, mobile page, you already get a warning that the ActiveSync commandlets are going to be phased out in favor of the uh, I think the get device uh, uh, commandlets. So it, it looks like that Microsoft is um, shifting away from ActiveSync. And uh, in another blog post I wrote uh, also a few months back, I already, already saw that Exchange 2013 uh, has exactly the same implementation of ActiveSync as uh, has Exchange 2010 uh, suspect to I believe. So there, it, it looks like that uh, Microsoft doesn't uh, put any effort anymore into the ActiveSync protocol, which makes the uh, mentioning of the Exchange app and the fact that you can disable it uh, separate from ActiveSync something and as an interesting development, especially when you are interested in the whole bring your own device discussions you have. I re recently did, did a presentation about that, about ActiveSync and uh, well, one of the things a lot of users don't like is when they have a personal device uh, that the admin or their employer can wipe the whole device. And I'm I'm guessing that the Exchange app is a sort of a, a sort of a sandbox application for um, a sort of a mix, perhaps a mix between ActiveSync, possibly some Exchange web services, but. That's speculation. I've uh, well, I've written a blog post about exactly this uh, subject, so we will uh, link on the uh, UC Architects page on that. But well, the fact that is, it it's already present in uh, my uh, Office 365 account, but not yet in uh, Cumulative Update One. That got me thinking that possibly we will hear something more about this when they announce Cumulative Update Two, perhaps. And that would be somewhere in the end of July, I think, or the end of June, I think. So perhaps we will hear something on something like TechEd. So I'm, I'm very interested in the, that development. Yeah, that, uh, that, that's got me even more intrigued now after what you've said. Well, well, interesting yeah. to <laughs> interesting to see what uh, what goes on with that. Oh, yeah, you have to read my blog post then. <laughs> yeah, I was I was just reading it actually. Um, right. That's that's quite interesting. Yeah. And uh, and so while we have you, uh, we'll switch gears. We'll talk about uh, your script, uh, converting a mail user to a mailbox user. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised uh, I haven't seen somebody else try to do this before. This is one of those forehead slapping. Uh, why didn't I think of that uh, type things? <laughs> really? So, so tell, tell uh, us about the script. Well, um, uh, also motivated or, or inspired by our own migration, uh, well, we have decided that not all of our users are getting a Exchange mailbox, but they will be a mail user. They have an Active Directory account, so they can log in the Active Directory. They uh, can authenticate to the application and stuff, but they don't have an Exchange mailbox. But it's surely possible that they that their work will change and that they will need an Exchange mailbox, for instance, for a link integration or for more voicemail or something like that, or just to communicate with customers or, or uh, to have a calendar and make appointments. So I saw the need for an easy way to convert a mail user to a mailbox user. Well, you would think just change the type and then it just works fine. Uh, but I had a, a short discussion with that uh, on, on Twitter with somebody who said, uh, why isn't get mail user pipe uh, enable mailbox, uh, isn't that the same? Well, I did some, some uh, thorough testing on that subject. When you just enable mailbox or mail user, then the forwarding address is added to the additional SNTP addresses. 
And when you then um, SNTP forward the mailbox user to that same SNTP address, then Exchange thinks, even though it's not an accepted domain, Exchange thinks that SNTP address is belongs to your mailbox and delivers the mail to your own mailbox. So forwarding doesn't work when you use the same SNTP forwarding address. The solution is just to remove the SNTP address, but that's a manual action and I wanted something very easy um, and, and something that checks all the SNTP addresses that is that are added to the mail user and checks them whether they are within an accepted domain and then adds them when they are to the mailbox user. And it has an option to uh, keep forwarding the mails to deliver the mail to the mailbox and to the external SNTP address. Uh, and that, that is an option whether you do, because with a mail user, you have to have a, a mail forwarding address, but with the mailbox, you can decide whether you want to do it or not. It's much, most logical that you probably don't have to anymore. And my script does that automatically and I'm uh, already got some feedback from uh, from uh, uh, some users and uh, uh, I'm probably going to uh, update that uh, in an uh, upcoming uh, version excellent very good that kind of reminds me I, I wrote a script uh, out of necessity to convert linked mailboxes uh, right. to a regular mailbox and of course the, the only way you can really do it is to to delete it and recreate it right yeah. And, um, you know, I, I kind of do the same thing, you know, just grab all the information and kind of cycle through all the steps you have to do and plug all the values back in and reattach it to the to everything. So, yeah. good. That's, that's very good. I'll, I'll have to play around with that. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, switching to link topics for this episode, Microsoft has delayed the end of life for Link and Yahoo Federation. It was originally uh, scheduled to go... The original expiration date was going to be uh, sometime uh, after June of this year, and uh, Microsoft has now pushed it back to the end of June next year. So if you're using uh, Yahoo Federation, uh, you got a little bit more time to, to use that before uh, the, the plug gets pulled on that. And uh, is anybody else using that? Do you, do you have a lot of users communicating with Yahoo people? Well, no. <laughs> one customer was using it very, very heavy. Um He's doing much business via Yahoo. The, initially, they used Yahoo for for doing business with uh, other companies, and then they then they decided to uh, to implement. Uh, well, it was OCS, and they set up a uh, federation with uh, with Yahoo to connect to their existing contacts in uh, in the Yahoo, only then via the uh, OCS environment. So we've warned them about it and. Uh, I think they're glad uh, it has been uh, rescheduled by Microsoft uh, to support it another year. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm disappointed that it's actually going away at all. I mean, I I don't see a lot of use of it. I don't see really anybody using it. But the fact that the connectivity is there and that you can communicate with people on a different platform, yeah, I think it's nice. It is nice, and whether it gets used a lot, kind of like kind of like the AOL Federation. It, it, it's kind of nice, and the fact that it's it's getting removed or discontinued uh, is disappointing. But you know, maybe there's just not much uh, call for it anymore. So, yeah, yeah I think the the MSN uh, Skype integration uh, will have a uh, a huge uh, boost for for the platform. But yeah, also providing the same service for uh, JU and for AOL. Yeah, it's it's nice to offer because it's are additional things, which some users or some companies may like. Or, but yeah, as you already said, you don't see it uh, much in the field. And uh, another announcement uh, or release, I should say, uh, from Microsoft. Uh, not long after our last episode, episode twenty, Microsoft released an update for the Link for Mac 2011 client that resolves some meeting join issues. A couple issues, um, when you join an online meeting, it would it would throw an error. And the other one was uh, you would get desktop or video sharing uh, disconnections in the uh, the Mac client. So there's, there's an update out for that, or a hotfix, I should say. Uh, and we'll have a link for that on the, uh, the summary page. 
And uh, Dave, you've uh, looked at a, a product for uh, room managers called Avoco Room Manager, and uh, yeah. what was your experience like with that? Um, very positive, actually. It's uh, well, we actually implemented it already. The Avoco Room Manager is just a, a sort of a well, it looks like a, a tablet uh, device. It's a touchscreen device, and on it, you it, it connects to your Exchange server. And it can see the appointments made in a room mailbox. Um, so you have to implement room mailboxes uh, on your Exchange server, and you have to configure the Evelcos to uh, connect to those uh, room mailboxes. So uh, anyone in our environment can uh, make a reservation for a certain room and then that appointment will be shown on the Evoca Room Manager. Next, it's net, just next to the door. It's just like a, a, a just uh, a display. Uh, but it's also a, a touchscreen. So you, uh, when you have a, have a, a not an unplanned uh, meeting, you can just go to the Evoca Room Manager and you just click. Was what was it? I, I don't know the exact term, but you can plan and. A, uh, make a reservation at the spot and have a reservation for for that room mailbox at that time so that when five minutes later when somebody is, is looking for a room within Outlook or um, uh, OWA it will show as occupied and then you will have to take another room so that that's uh, theory and in uh, practice it's actually uh, it, it works uh, Pretty, pretty amazing. Um, you just have to make a. You have a, a configuration tool. Um, you have to configure the devices uh, with that. Then it writes a config file on a USB stick, and then you have to update the certain device with that uh, USB stick. And with, I think, with version seven, there is finally a central management, a central management tool. So you, you don't need to go to every room manager when you, for instance, add uh, a room manager or a vocal room manager or something like that. And uh, so, because every room or every space has its own room manager, uh, it has to be connected uh, via a network cable. Uh, it does support power over e Ethernet. Uh, but you can have a separate uh, power supply. Uh, you get uh, supplies to uh, stick it on a glass, or you can uh, screw it uh, on on uh, just your wall. And um, well, it it has been very positive, uh, and it's been very good used. And I think that yeah, well, we have good response from our users. It, it took a while to get used to it uh, because we we had implemented a policy that. You have to confirm your meeting, uh, and when you're 15 minutes late, the meeting is removed from the room calendar so that the room is already be freed up. And that, well, that takes a bit used to, but other than that, it, it just, well, I think that within a few days, all users were very used to it. And uh, well, we implemented with Exchange 2013, but it, it uses Exchange Web Services, and so. It also supports Exchange 2010, but it also supports, I think, Exchange 2007 with Suspect 2. Um, and I think it actually also supports Office 365 and Google, uh, Google Canada or Gmail or something like that. Well, that wasn't very much important for us. For us, was Exchange on-premises uh, most important in that. It was just um, entering a service account. You can do it with a service account or with impersonation. Uh, we chose to just to do a service account. Keep in mind that you have to note the uh, password because that is what is configured within the uh, Evoke Room Manager. And it just works perfectly and uh, users are happy and uh, no more fights about who got which room. <laughs> so that that's a positive uh, development. Well, you know, uh, several years ago, uh, many years ago now, probably seven or eight years ago, I guess, um, I was at uh, in Redmond at the Microsoft camp campus and walked by some conference rooms, and they had these uh, proprietary screens mounted on the on the wall right next to the door to the conference room and essentially had that same kind of functionality. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world 
that you could just walk up, look what the schedule was for that particular meeting, and, and if the meeting was in process, you could see, uh, you know, what meeting it was and who was responsible for it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I tried to get some information out of Microsoft, and they just said, oh, it's it's this particular screen made by this company, but it's all kind of, you know, proprietary stuff we're using internally. And I thought, well, it, should be, it would sure be nice to see a, a third-party product come out, you know, to, to kind of do that. Uh, you know, I've I've walked into uh, businesses where there was a, a book, a, a physical like notebook at the front desk, and people had to go up there and and kind of schedule a, a meeting right. uh, for a conference room and stuff. And of course, you know, half the meetings would get canceled or they'd get moved somewhere else. The book would never get updated, so you know the the room would sit unused and and things like that. And 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 trying to get that pushed over to some Something like a shared calendar or a site mailbox or whatever, I think uh, is a win-win. So I'm I'm glad to see that. I, I'm I'm going to have to check one of those out. Any idea what the price point is? Oh, I'm not quite sure. I think about 700 euros. So that's about 650 in dollars. I'm not oh, sure. Yeah. The, the, but uh, I didn't handle the the, the ordering of those uh, those things. I just did the implementation. And uh, it, they are wonderful things, and uh, yeah, they are uh, touch enabled, uh, so you can, uh, like like I said, you can make a an, 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 uh, meeting request at the device itself. But uh, what also is interesting, um, and we did the implementation with our um, uh, building manager, and there is an option that uh, you can show the, the the attributes of the room. Like if there's a beamer or a telephone or something like that, and if there is an issue with the telephone or the beamer, you can make a a, a report, or you can uh, go to the Evoco room manager and you can click on the uh, beamer. Like, well, the beamer is broke, and you can make uh, a report, and the room manager then makes a generates an email to the building manager so that the building manager is immediately aware that that there is an issue with a beamer or, or a telephone or something like that and can go to fix it so that that those little things add uh, not just for the for users uh, and they uh, because they have a more efficient uh, means of, of um, booking a room but also for the building management and supportive uh, facilities uh, etc um, uh, that they get direct information uh, about whether something is broken or not. So, yeah, that's a nice, that's a nice touch. Yeah, yeah that, that's a very nice touch. And at first we were quite a yeah. Well, I was a bit amazed. To like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. I was really focused on the user perspective, but not not on the uh, building manager perspective. So, it truly validates the name room manager because it's not. Only the user, but also the building manager. So, um, on their website, they um, have a, a interactive de demo. I think, uh, I think a flash uh, flash demo or something like that, and that really uh, illustrates the features and the look and feel of the device. Because uh, that and that's uh, a, a very uh, very cool feature. I think when a room is not booked and available. Then um, you have a, a, a light around the screen that is green, and when you have a meeting, then it turns to red. So you can, when you have a lot of doors next to each other with those uh, with those room managers, you can quickly see which rooms are uh, booked and uh, busy and which rooms are available because you can see the colors on on on, on the devices themselves, and that is a very nice touch and a very it makes it a really a must-have uh, uh, thing, actually. So yeah, we have uh, six six of those implemented, and there are four of those next to each other, and that is is a very very nice site with all the with the red and green and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, be sure to check out the website. I I really like that uh, those uh, those devices. Wow, very cool. Okay, and moving along. There's a cumulative update for uh, Link Phone Edition, and this came out since our, our last episode. Uh, it actually came out uh, the tail end of April. And so there's a couple of issues that uh, have popped up in Link Phone Edition devices, and uh, the cumulative update for uh, LPE uh, addresses those. A couple of other things, uh, if you're a UM-disabled user, 
but you're enabled in link, you cannot check your logs on your Aries or Tanjay uh, phone. That's been identified as an issue, and that is resolved in, the, in this cumulative update. Also, uh, the MWI, message waiting indicator, on Aries phones uh, doesn't turn off after a user plays all unopened voicemails. That's been resolved. Also resolved was an issue with uh, music on hold features for LPE on Aries phones when an audio file is configured. So the, all three of those issues have been resolved in the cumulative update. And uh, a little plug, I've got a script that makes updating these device, the, the uh, firmware much easier, and we'll get a link to that on the summary page as well. And speaking of updates with Link, an issue has been identified with the March update for Link Server 2013, in which users start to have problems with app sharing and desktop sharing. Uh, they get disconnected or they can't connect at all. And Microsoft has, has identified that this is an issue, and they are working on a hot fix uh, to fix it. It may come in the next cumulative update. Uh, right now, uh, from what we're seeing, the quick fix is to uninstall the March update and install the uh, previous February update. And we'll get some information about that online. So hopefully we don't have any timeline as to uh, uh, when a hotfix or a resolution to this might come out. But it has been identified, and I know that uh, we've seen it internally. So I uh, look forward to that soon. And getting back to the Link conference from earlier this year, um, there's there was a lot of people who could not go to the to the conference uh, for whatever reason, and Microsoft recorded all of the sessions and provided all of the slide decks to conference attendees and originally was going to make that content available to uh, non-attendees for a small fee. Well, Microsoft has now determined or decided uh, to make that content free. So you can download all the slide decks and all the audio presentations of all the sessions um, uh, for whatever topics you want, and we'll have a link to that on the summary page. I can tell you there's a lot to download. I downloaded every session, and it was a little over 26 gigs. So uh, has anybody else uh, uh, watched or listened uh, to some of the to the sessions? Yeah, they were uh, they were very cool. Uh, I couldn't make it to, in the, to the conference, but uh, I, I downloaded the sessions, started listening to them. There are a lot of information inside the sessions. I can't deny that. I would I would have paid if they, you know, asked for a smaller charge. But you seem very angry about that, Pat. <laughs> well, although you still say it's it's available, it's everything, 26 gigs, a lot of information, which you seem a little bit angry. Uh, well, I, th I think that that Pat has a bit of a reason to be angry because if you if you uh, pay for the whole conference and then well and and Microsoft did told that it would be available just for the fee just to keep the uh, conference keep its value and then they come back to that and and just give it for free. Um, yeah, well, it, it it's for, especially for us. This was the first Link conference. What does that mean for an upcoming Link conference? Will people just wait and see, uh, just take the gamble and wait for the content to come become uh, available? Because otherwise, the event, the conference is more, yeah, the, the, the added value is just the uh, networking with uh, with peers and, and the product group. So... And don't forget our phenomenal uh, great giveaway where we gave away oh, right. $90,000 worth of hardware exactly. and software and services. Uh, but, but you're right. I, I'm a little uh, disappointed that they, that they decided to give it away for free. Not that I think that people should not have access to that content. I think um, their original plan to, to do it for a small fee I think made, made more sense. It's it's hard to say that that's all you need to get you know everything out of the conference. I think the social networking aspect is uh, phenomenal. There's you know a lot of people there. There was, I think, two dozen uh, Link MVPs there. Almost everyone, almost all of the Link MVPs in the United States were there. Uh, so it was nice to to put you know some some faces to names. 
you know, same with some of the people that uh, are not MVPs and, and do a lot of uh, writing online. It was nice to meet them. It was nice to uh, go through the expo hall and talk to all the vendors. Um, you know, great to get all the, the free swag. And, you know, who can complain about, you know, staying in a hotel that's on a beach in uh, in, in California? So, uh, you know, that as those aspects, I think, are, are great uh, value add. The social networking, I think, is the best. Um, but, yeah, it would have been nice if, if Microsoft would have stuck to their original plan. That being said, you you can certainly get a wealth of information out of out of the presentations. There there were some some awesome uh, presentations by both uh, Microsoft staff and and non Microsoft people, and um, you could you can learn a lot by by going through these. I I downloaded them all just so I can listen to them, you know, on my. Uh, my phone or on my iPad or Surface or whatever while I'm traveling, and uh, as well as you know having the slide decks that, that you can use to uh, get more information out of or use for you know your own presentations or whatever. So, but we'll get a link up to the to the on the summary page for uh, access to those sessions. One final note uh, to, mm -hmm. to the audience uh, and to, our, to ourselves as well. Don't don't focus on the 300 sessions or 400 sessions only. I listened by chance to the uh, exchange and link better together. It was uh, 200 session, but there there was there was a lot of information inside the session. So uh, how link and exchange work together. Uh, from uh, you know the unified communication store, uh, the link web app, the outlook web app, how the integration works in the background. So although the session was labeled 200, there was a lot of even even if the information were high level, but how things work and how it should work and where you should look for it was worth watching. So don't because the session is 200, don't drop it. Just you know go through it. If you don't have like it, just drop it, but don't throw it at all. Just listen to it. Yeah, I, I think you'd do yourself a great service by downloading all the content if you have the bandwidth to do so. And and what's nice is the... And, and um, the disk space. Yeah, and the disk <laughs> space, yeah. One nice thing is the audio, those are actually MP4 files, and you actually see the slide, the PowerPoint slides that were on the screen while the speaker is talking. So you see him progress through the, the uh, slides, as well as being able to download the slide deck as a PPTX file, not as a PDF like we see at some conferences. So you get the, the MP4 with the audio and the slides built into them and the separate slides too. So um, that, that I thought was a nice touch. Well, it's, it's sure, because in the PPTX you can... Uh, see the uh, optionally hidden slides or the the the, the slides uh, at the back for for answering questions from the audience and and even the notes. So that I've always uh, uh, wanted to to have uh, the or even if I was present at a presentation, I always want the uh, PPTX file because there's sometimes some hidden information in there that is uh, quite valuable. Yeah, I, I would agree. Doug Laudy put on a great session on location-based routing in Link, and he had a ton of information in his slides that he didn't go through. Uh, he, he, he intentionally told us, hey, there's information in, in here in some hidden slides. You know, I just don't have time to go over it, but it's in there in case uh, you'd like to review it further. So, you know, they went out of their way to make sure that there was, you know, more than enough information out there, so... Is, is there also a session uh, about exchange uh, dial plans and uh, the combination with link in there? Because that is a topic that I need to uh, brush up on. <laughs> well, you know, the, the link uh, conference content is like the old Heinz 57 commercials. It's in there. <laughs> All right. You, you think of anything about link, it's in there. Okay. It, was, it was a fabulous... Uh, conference. I know I was not on the episode where we did the wrap up, but um, it was it was an awesome uh, conference, and I look forward to to going to the next one. And uh, speaking of events, we have uh, TechEd North America and TechEd Europe coming up. I know TechEd uh, North America is next month down in uh, New Orleans. Uh, is anybody going? Yeah, I'm I'm going with uh, two two colleagues to TechEd North America. So. No Europe for me, but uh, take it North America for, for, for me. So I'm yeah. uh, kind of excited uh, for, for New Orleans. Yeah, I think uh, I think a bunch of us are going, and uh, I'm sure you'll everybody will see us in our black UC Architects uh, oh, shirts. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're, we're not going to go crazy and give another uh, ton of gear away. That was a lot of work. I need a break for, from that. Needed a vacation after that vacation. But we look forward to, to seeing people there, and there's going to be a lot of information out, and, uh, and we look forward to seeing what Microsoft has to say. And that pretty much does it for this week. Um, we'd like to thank you for uh, stopping by and listening to us. We want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Please visit our website at www.theucarchitects.com. We're on Twitter at the UC Architects, uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash the UC Architects, and we have a, a rapidly growing group on LinkedIn. We've got, uh, I think, 400 people there, so stop on by, uh, ask a question, join in the, in the fun. Uh, our podcast episodes are available in the iTunes Store, the Zoom Marketplace, and in your favorite RSS client like Outlook. See our website for links to everything, including everything we talked about today. Uh, we'll see you back for the next episode with Steve Hosting. Thank you.